Well, good evening to you all. I hope you all had a wonderful day. We're in the Orient Hour studio. Plenty to talk about tonight. Join us in a moment or two. Good evening to you all once again. Welcome along to uh, the Orient Hour Studios here in Brentwood. And I'm joined by a trio of people in the studio. A man who was jigging around to the uh, sound there of uh, Herb Albert, and uh, that was Jamie Stripe. Good evening. How are you, mate? Fine, thank you. Good stuff. And uh, next to him is Sam Monday. Evening. You're not Billy Herring? I'm not Billy Herring. No, Billy's not here tonight i'm afraid i'm sitting in for him and uh, we'll make do you'll make, we'll do. make do get right into that microphone <laughs> sam you've got to literally eat those mics i tell you you've got to get in close and uh, here's a man with a lot of experience one of our uh, respected coaches and former players uh, adrian whitbread how are you mate i'm very well yourself yes we're all uh, we're all looking forward to a, an interesting evening it's been one of those weeks no football last weekend of course and we had to wait till last night to get some action and uh, it was a pretty decent performance overall Jamie against a, a league one side the, 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 the team losing on penalties but a lot more positives I would say than negatives coming out of that yeah I think everyone would be quite happy with that performance uh, apart from obviously losing on the penalty kicks uh, we looked a lot more at it I thought I think our, our midfield looks combative, combative and they actually competed. They competed a lot more than they did against Forest Green. Defensively, I think we got better as we went on. And uh, for, there was a few pluses in the forwards. I thought um, uh, Angle, you know, he was there on the spot when that ball came in for Maguire Drew. Uh, Wilkinson, you know, all, you know, he was unlucky. I thought we should have got a penalty at one stage and he was always a, a threat until he got dragged. But uh, the most pleasing aspect was Jordan Maguire Drew. I thought we had a really good first half a good start to the second half and I know he, he faded a little bit towards the end but there's plenty of positives to take from that performance and neg- negative, uh, the negative uh, should I say uh, in fact Sam if anything was that, that opening goal that they conceded wasn't it um, well it was a pretty good delivery to be fair it was right in um, but you know losing uh, conceding a goal from a set piece never want to do that obviously but I mean I think it was pretty much all Bristol Rovers up to that point and the the point is we responded really well to going a goal behind and you know it wasn't long before we got the equaliser as well really good entertainment as well fair play to the 106 supporters who, who made it up there um, and as Jamie said I thought Jordan Maguire Drew's performance was a, a highlight as same with Jamie Turley and Hector Cipriano um, that's exactly the sort of thing they should be doing giving Ross Embleton a bit of a headache and uh, giving something to think about for being in contention on Saturday 
Okay, Adrian, you uh, watched uh, a bit of the action there. Um, defensively, question marks on the Orient? I would say so. You don't like to concede from a set play. I think it's always difficult when you when you do concede from a set play. But um, you know, I think over over recent weeks, you know, I haven't seen a lot of the games. Um, Orient have found themselves in a position where we've conceded probably far too many goals and. Um, you know, if, it, if it's a bit of magic and someone scores a worldie, you accept it. But probably from a set play, that would be disappointing to, to Ross and the, and the team on the night. As we said before, a lot of positives with the Orient going forward. They looked quite confident at times, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, even going back as far as the Forest Green game, you know, you could say that 3-0 down and coming out for the second half, they had nothing to lose. Um, you know, I spoke to a couple of colleagues of mine and I said, well, the bottom line was they got the ball in the box more, and you get, the more often or not you get you get the ball in the box, you give yourself the opportunity to score, and you know could have quite easily made it through all apart from the you know a lick of paint on the crossbar, and then unfortunately concede the fourth goal. So you know disappointing uh, last night conceding the goal, uh, plus points, a one-one draw away from home realistically against the League One opposition. You know so it'll be interesting now with. Uh, you know, the players that Ross put out last night, how quick can get them turned around and prepared for Saturday's game, which is always tough uh, if it's on a Tuesday night. Great, but Wednesday, travelling back and then a long journey up to Oldham on, on Saturday. So, Sam, you're more impressed than unimpressed with the performance last night? Um, well, I think basically not having had a game on the Saturday, you know, after missing out for, for the FA Cup, I think it was important to get some game time and for certain players as well. Um, you've got you know in a game like this, we've we've spoke about last time we were on actually was we were just speaking about the the Brighton game in this in this trophy. No one's particularly overly bothered about it, I would say. Um, so you've got to take what positives you can get. You know, right down to at least nobody came out of it with uh, with an injury and watch what was a bitly cold night on an icy pitch. Um, I think you have to take the positives, and they are you know. Um, People getting game time, doing really well and impressing, uh, especially uh, Hector, who we know that Ross likes the look of. He should be giving Ross a headache and put, pushing himself forward for contention because, you know, let's face it, there's there's a big call to, to shape things up pretty much in terms of who can get in and uh, make a name for themselves in that starting eleven. Um, you know, and also good to see the... Um, uh, the video stream worked well as well from an, uh, as another positive even though um, the Twitter feed was ahead by the time we went to penalties, I think. But yeah, I think you have to take the positives from it because, you know, what, what else can you do? Good game time for people um, and a decent performance against a side who are ninth in League One. So not yeah. too bad. Yeah, it was. I thought you've got to put it in perspective. They're playing a side that are quite comfortable, Jamie, in League One. So um, that should put them in good stead for Saturday, shouldn't it? Yeah, Selection headaches for, for Ross, and to be quite honest, he could do a lot worse than start that team on Saturday if he, if he can. The only probably change I'd make is actually make Wilkinson the spearhead and then go playing off of him. But other than that, I think it might be worth a go. I, th I think the, the energy that uh, Kipriano brought to it and Maguire drew, I, I think it's worth persevering with. Well, Ross went on record as saying, my message, this is just before the uh, penalty kick um, shootout, my message to the boys is whatever happens in the shootout, please remember the quality of the performance. Do you go along with that, Adrian? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you have to come out of it. Although you've lost the game on penalties, you've gone away from home, 
uh, a cold night. Probably, you know, there wasn't a big crowd in. I think there was just under 900 in there. Um, but you have to put a performance in, and uh, obviously they've done that. And um, it's important now they carry that forward to, to Saturday's game, dependent on uh, what team Ross puts out. Um, like I said, it is a quick turnaround because they probably wouldn't have got back till probably the early hours of this morning. Um, maybe they would have had a recovery session this afternoon and then in for one training session and probably leaving Friday afternoon if they're lucky enough to stay overnight for Oldham. So, um, you know, it's it's tough at the moment, but um, I think obviously what the football club is looking for is a little bit of stability. Um, and that result last night hopefully will put a lot of players in, in Ross's mind and um, we'll see what team he puts out on, on Saturday. Well, Sam... On the message board there from O's Mad, should Turley play at centre-back against Oldham after his performance last night? What do you think? Um, certainly a good shout. Certainly a good shout. Um, I like to have a big fan of Jamie Turley and I think he will give us something that we've been missing in recent weeks. Talking, of, as Adrian was saying, the goals we've been shipping um, you know, are really disappointing over the past few weeks. I would put Jamie Turley in there. If not centre-back, I'd also consider right-back. I think if we're going away... Going up north, you want to put in a solid performance, a decent performance, and Jamie Turley will give you that. You know, we know what his limitations are in terms of his age, and you know he's not going to bomb up and down the wing, but he will put you in a solid, solid defensive performance. I mean, you're saying about him as as, as a wing back or a full back, and and Adrian, I would look at him more in that role because looking from Orient's on the negative side of things they're not stopping it at source are they defensively they're not stopping the ball coming in at source and they're putting those centre halves under pressure all the time by not not cutting out the ball coming in so it is those wide positions defensively that that look vulnerable yeah and especially probably going away from home you know I think um, many 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 years ago when we used to play against Southend they they went up and got promotion with four centre backs playing across (laughs) the back line they didn't go forward they just knew their jobs stop crosses coming in the box and defend the crosses that do come in the box. And I think that's that's the key thing. Um, and limiting the space. You know, the, the spacing against uh, Forest Green was was pretty open, if I'm being totally honest. And, um, you know, there was holes for them to play through, um, which Forest Green did very, very well. But that comes down to with, with a lot going on in, in recent weeks at Orient. Um, and just maybe at the moment in time now, they've been able to stabilise things. Um, look no further than, than the Ross at the moment and just, just keep the momentum that they've got probably from last night taking it through into to Saturday's game. Yeah, because you said there's a lot of positives from last night, but the negative was, I mean, from my opinion anyway, was that, that opening goal. I mean, you've seen it. I mean, defensively, you work on the pitch all week and, and then something like that happens where, you know, really it, it shouldn't have got on the end of that, should he? No, I mean, you know, the set set piece that we're talking about is really a cross where you look, yeah. where, you know, the free kick's taken on the pitch. But, um, you know, when I looked at it really, really closely, it looked like it took a, an initial nick on the way through to the fella. And I don't think he knew too much about it in him, to kind be fair. Kind of hit him, didn't it? Yeah. yeah, but I think there was an initial nick in the middle of the six-yard box that then obviously took it off a, an Orient defender's head and then obviously found its way to the back post. Um, sometimes, you, you know, you can't do much about that. But I think, like you say... One one away from home. Uh, it doesn't matter what, uh, whether it's in the league, cup, a friendly game, or anything. You could say it was a bit of a friendly game, and you know players were getting minutes that were coming back, and players were getting minutes that, that obviously hadn't played in recent weeks. Um, I think it will, like you say, it will give Ross a nice little headache uh, coming into work this afternoon, and, and then probably first thing tomorrow morning before they travel, uh, before he names the team on Saturday. Can he put the same team out? 
I'd very much doubt it, you know, because it is a Wednesday. I think that, you know, he'll probably have to look back at to, to the Forest Green game and, and take what he liked out of that game and the players that played well and say, well, look, you've got the shirt, you deserve to keep it, put the performance in and, th- and that might happen with one or two players from last night as well. Right, well, Jamie. Well, I might agree with that. I just think that the performance we put in was that adequate. You know, I think, again, people got minutes. And the pleasing thing was that someone like Maguire drew looked the part yesterday you know he, he took he took people on got the cross in created the goal and he had two other really good good moments in that match uh, also Kipriano he looked really composed you know really composed looked like he'd played there most of the season so that's you know for me I'd, I'd start him I'd start Kipriano on Saturday I'd definitely start Maguire Drew and I'd definitely start Turley at centre half because I think they all had solid games there um, I think Sarge might be worth a go this time. I think now he's in. I think now's the time to to see what he can do. These, these are wholesale changes, Jamie. Well, I mean, we've not won. We've not won for eight games. We've not won since we were yeah since beyond before we were here last four yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, we've not won in eight games. We're coming off a terrible run. We've had a lot of upheaval at the club, you know, and all all season people have been saying this team needs an identity. This team needs a formation. It can like get behind, find find the players that suit it. And you know what? Ross just might have come across it by accident. Mm, you know? So it's worth it's, it's worth persevering with. Like I said, the only change I'd really make is swap the roles of Wilkinson and Engel. But you know what? If he can he can keep if he can keep that that side, you know, I, I'd, I'd start it. I'd start it. There's there's enough on the bench. If we have to change it around quickly, we can do it. Fair enough. So you know, let, let's go with it. Let's run with it. You've got a few things you want to discuss there, Jamie, on your list, I believe. Well, what a list. Well, where, should, where do we start? Should we just have a quick look at uh, the upcoming Oldham game? Very quickly. Okay. Uh, I'm beating the last four in the league. Always a tricky game for us when we go up there. Recent record, though, not too bad. The last 10 games in old, since 2010, pl- played 11, won four, drawn four, lost three. Last time we went there was 2015, 1-3-0. Any prizes for knowing the scorers? <laughs> no. I'll put you out your misery. De Senna, obviously on day release from Harrods. <laughs> De Senna, David Mooney and Simpson. I forgot he'd scored for us, yeah, there you go, you see. That was, uh, Simpson. Yeah, hmm. the, gl- the glory days of uh, Liverani, when we thought he was going to get us out of it. <laughs> What week was that? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, oh, always a tricky one. I'd, I'd take a draw if you offered it to me. I'd like a win. But um, if we put in a performance like we did last night, I think we've got half a chance. Mm. Never an easy match, this Oldham, is it? I mean, we've had uh, some good cup ties with them. We've had some good league matches. And we upset them many, many years ago, back in the days of Frank Clark, back in the in the 80s, I think, when the uh, Footchers, I think, were, yeah. were up there at one point um, running the club, or playing for the club, I think, actually, at the time. Uh, Paul and uh, Ron, wasn't it? Paul yeah. and Ron Footcher. I think um, uh, Tommy Cunningham got sent off for uh, grad- grabbing Roger Wilde around the throat at one stage in a 3-2 defeat. David Giles was on the line for us and scored two goals. And, of course, we had a memorable FA Cup tie with them. I think Adrian would uh, remember that one. During your time, wasn't it? It was, it, was, uh, yeah, it was probably one of my most memorable moments in, in an orange shirt, to be fair. You know, it was back in the day when Oldham were actually flying high in what was really the English Premier League. And uh, we went up to Boundary Park and it was still on AstroSurf, I, I believe, as well. And um, Dennis Irwin, Earl Barrett, Ian Marshall, um, 
household names. Well, yeah. Dennis Irwin was, anyhow. Mm. At the time, um, yeah. Roger Palmer. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And uh, it was those days when Ian Marshall found himself from centre-back to centre-forward scoring all those goals and I still wonder this day why it never happened for myself. But uh, <laughs> um, no, they, we went away from home and I actually remember my, my parents and my mates came up to watch and they you know, went to the chip shop and had their mushy peas and we got a draw and brought them back to Bismarck Road and then uh, beat them in a return leg. So that's one of the most memorable moments for me, putting the Orient shirt on and, and especially for, for an FA Cup game as well. I believe I still have that on VHS somewhere, yeah. the match of the day highlights. Yeah, very snowy, I should think, now. Yeah. But Tony Gabba, wasn't it? I think very it probably. Yeah. So you never, you never listened to Stephen Jenkins and Marcel's version, filmed from the other side of the pitch, actually. Which was uh, I'm sure it's Harvey period, actually yeah. you get a better angle of the Lee Harvey goal, which was <laughs> which was we were we were moaning about the defending the other night. Well, I mean, if you look at that for a, a top division football team to allow that ball to travel past so many players and into the net was ridiculous. But uh, it was a lot of character that night. But I look back on that game, and I know you said it's one of your most uh, memorable matches, Ada. That uh, and and you you looked at the penalty and put you have to feel for the goalkeeper because he pulled off a fantastic save against Steve Castle, and the the referee made him retake it. And when you watch it again, you think that is a really unlucky retake. I mean, that's why we need that's why we need VAR, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. What's your what, just out of interest before we go on to anything else? What's your personal feelings about VAR, Ada? As you know. <laughs> I'm putting a face because obviously I'm on radio. I, I mean, listen, I'm old school, but I understand where it has to come in from. But I just see it a totally different way from how it was used at the World Cup. Um, you know, why don't the referees just go over to the side of the pitch and make the decision themselves? Yeah. You know, if there's something to look at, they can be flagged. And then the let the referee make the decision, not let people in a studio where the game's not going on personally. Uh, the offside rule is just ridiculous for me. I know, I know there are mitigating circumstances sometimes but listen even being a defender you know I don't want to concede goals but <clears throat> where's the benefit gone to, to the striker nowadays there, there isn't one which is where it, where the rules were really before you know so when I when I saw it at the start of the season and I think it was the West Ham game versus Man City and you were talking about literally a, a toenail yeah. you know and then the lines that were being drawn in and I think you you then lose the emotion and the impact of the game. I want to celebrate a goal. Oh no, we've got to check it. I'll re-celebrate or, oh no, it's been chalked off and then the emotion from the supporters goes away as well. And I think you have to be a little bit careful unless it's really, really clear. I mean, you know, rugby have got it spot on. You know, you can actually hear the referee talking about it, you mm -hmm. know, whereas we don't get that. Yeah, but they don't keep stopping for everything on their rugby. I mean, it's key things. Yeah. I mean... The, the, the thing with me was, as I said before on this show, there was a difference. We look back at the sort of Lampard and the World Cup incident. And we thought, you need goal line technology, which is one thing. And that's, I think everybody would be happy with that. But this is just going too far, isn't it? Well, it's taking the control away from the referee, literally, isn't it? You might as well turn around and referee the, referee the game in the studio and have yeah. someone over a loud tunnel blowing a whistle with them when there's a foul. You know, that's really where it's at. I think, you know, again, we had common sense in the day. You know, yeah. and the referees had common sense, you know, and we used to have banter with the referees and I don't think you can even have that no more. You can't talk to them and they can't talk to you because if something's spoken in the wrong way, it all gets blown up. And how often do we see even players when they're talking to each other on the pitch now covering their mouths because they don't want people to see what they're talking about? Yeah. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. And I mean, if, you know, we had this incident, as we won't go all through the whole incident again with uh, Forest Green um, the other week with the, with the Ross Embleton getting dismissed. Now, 
we say a bit of sledging goes on between benches, always has done. But someone's made a point, why don't they mic up the benches now, apart from the obscenities? <laughs> they're pretty much every five seconds. Is there any point to doing that? I mean, is, is, is that not going a little bit too far? It probably is. I mean, I remember when I was at Leicester City and I was the assistant manager under Martin Allen there and um, our physio, he had a mic on, like you all see now, so he gets stuff back that goes on the pitch. I remember he ran on the pitch and I had to press a button to turn around and speak to him and I had to I start to check to see if it was working, you know, like we're all doing it tonight on the mics and everything else. But then I started laughing and joking and having a bit of fun with him as he was running on the pitch, you know. So, I mean, again, I think the fourth official's there to do a job. Now, going back to the incident that happened against Forest Green Rovers, something has obviously been said for Ross to react in the way that he did it's kind of all been blown under the carpet a little bit, hasn't it, you know? But you can't tell me the fourth official being that close wouldn't have heard something, in my opinion. And the game of football's all about opinions, but when it's something like that, I don't think Ross would have reacted that way if something hadn't been said that he mm. didn't feel that he could turn around and react that way. Let's be, let's be honest to start with. Otherwise, why, why, why are you getting sent to the stands? So, uh, I understand it's been dealt with. Um... And fair play to to obviously Orient, Nigel and, and Ross. You know, they've they've dealt with it now and move on. And you have to. You know, it's done now. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't turn back the clock. If something was said, it was said. We all know it's, it may have been very personal in, in regards to Justin uh, and towards Ross. Um, but I thought uh, Ross conducted himself very well post-match and with everything that's proceeded since then. Right. Well, while we're talking about Ross... Um, guys, um, we've got this it's ongoing situation really now. It's it's sort of a position of uncertainty, isn't it, within the the club because nobody's actually making anything that clear. We're all left to wonder: Is Ross taking it? Is he not taking it? Is he going to be interim? Is he going to take it full time? And this uncertainty, I mean. Some of the points of view that have been pulled over is that it's like watching a rudderless ship, which will eventually run aground. Um, now, there's certain things have been said. We'll come to some of the comments on social media. D- does it fall to Ross or does it fall to the board to make a decision here? Uh, I think it falls to the board, to be quite honest. Uh, something has got to be made clear now that we've been drifting like this for a long time and it's not it's not good for us. I think we've come to a... We've, the club's had a lot of problems moving on from losing Justin, there's no doubt about that, and that's that's understandable. But it's got to, now we've had the fiasco with Fletcher. We're basically where we are two or three months ago. So what does Ross want to do? I mean, I, I think someone's got to actually say we're going to get rid of the interim part of your job description. You are their manager for this club until the end of the season. And if you don't want to do it, then I think you should let Danny Webber for go, because that's only fair. I think, in my opinion. Um, I don't think having an interim manager and people dropping down or you know doing this and the other is not doing us any favours. I think people just need to go forward now. We've got to move this club on. Um, whether it means getting a new boss in, I don't know. I mean, some people want want it. I'd, I'd side for the time being of giving Ross a proper chance, but with you know just saying you've got to run with this now. There's yep. no there's no there's no turning back. It's one thing giving Ross a chance. 
I'm just put this, putting this out here. It's not just necessarily my opinion, but it's one thing giving him a, a, a chance, but he's got to want to do it, uh, and he's got exactly. to he's got to stake his claim and say, no, I want this job. It's mine, or no, I'm a coach. I want to be a coach. I'll hold the fort while you find somebody. So. You can't have it both ways here. Ross has got to make that jump or or stay where he is. He's, he's either got to you know, stick or twist, really. No, I agree. It, you know, I agree. Um, and, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to comment too deeply, Adrian, obviously, because you're talking about a, a, a fellow coach, etc., and somebody you know. But, I mean, would it be wrong to say that he, he as an individual has got to make that decision pretty quickly? I don't know about quickly. I guess it's probably what may have been discussed between Martin, the board... Um, they they may all know and we're just not being kept in the loop as to what the situation is I, I think the one thing for me that, that is difficult over a period of time is because obviously Ross did it at the start of the season as interim um, I'd find it very difficult coming from that assistant role up to a head coaching role now having to make decisions on players that are playing uh, man manage them and then all of a sudden you're going back to an assistant Sometimes players are like, well, why are you leaving me out? And that can then become very difficult to deal with and manage because you've left the player out two or three weeks ago. Um, now you want him to play for you. It comes down to that a little bit. You know, when you look at how Justin got the players and the supporters on board in, in playing for the football club and being part of the football club, that's very difficult from an assistant jumping backwards and forwards. So exactly what you're saying sooner rather than later I think there will will have to obviously be a decision made um, and for all we know that the board have kind of made that decision and spoken to Ross about it and obviously the rest of the coaching staff but um, you know only, only Ross and, and Martin Ling and, and the rest of the board know that Yeah I mean I think I'm not really sure what's changed in terms of Ross's um, you know, he, he decided to step down and said the job's not for me which is fair enough and then we've got a really great run of results, you know, for, for whatever reason. So now he's still worked there under Fletcher. And now the club have asked him, could you do it again? Ross loves Orient. We all, we all know that. I'm pretty sure Ross would mark the pitch if you asked him to mark the pitch. He's been asked, you know, would, will you do this for the club? He would do anything for that club. That's why we love him. Whether it's the right decision for Ross and whether it's the right decision for the club, we're only going to know with, with time unfortunately I'm still confused as to okay so what's different this time round how, how is it going to be done differently and as we know the club have sort of made a thing of Danny Webb getting his qualifications and stuff it, you know, is this sort of triumvirate of the three of them on the bench going to work this time round I would like to give them time I would like to say right you've got to the end of the season show me you want it and you know give, give, the, you know, give the guys upstairs a, you know, something to think about you know go and take the club on but if come February March we're right in the thick of it, down the bottom. What do we do then? Do we continue with the, you know, the, the guys who've been, you know, they're under Justin, they've been loyal to the club and have helped the club out at a terrible, terrible time? Or do we get someone in then? And if that's the case, why don't we get someone in now? There's a lot, there's a lot to think mm. about here. Well, and while we're just mentioning Danny Webb, of course, it's probably our chance to congratulate Jan Danny on air here. He received a diploma in football management at uh, Liverpool University this week. So quite an achievement for him. And, and as you say, perhaps Orient were waiting for him to get that done. You don't know what's happening. And, that, and sure. it's this lack of information that's causing well, there's the, obviously the stuff uncertainty. That they're going to know that we're not going to know. And yeah. There's certain stuff that should be made public. But Ross said he didn't want the job. He now has the job again. 
you know, Danny's got these qualifications. Was it ever offered to Danny? Did they not want Danny to, you know, to come in because that's disrespectful to Ross or whatever? I don't know. Well, you know? my argument would be with that is, it, 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 you know, it's it's something where if Danny wanted it and they won't promote him above Ross, but Ross doesn't want it, then that seems a bit, you know, if you if you respect Danny and you 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 think he's got the qualifications and the ability to do it, I'm afraid if the middle person doesn't want it, then that that, that person no longer figures in, in in your decision. You if you leapfrogs Ross, he leapfrogs Ross. Absolutely, I mean, it's a bit strange. I mean, um, I asked them. Um, Billy, the, our usual host, which is he's not available this evening. That's why we've got, got work, the B work. one. You got the B one. That's you why we've got the work experience. <laughs> I said, um, you know, was there anything you wanted to discuss? His, his point was, you know, is that the right decision moving forward for for Ross to return? When there are the likes of Paul Tisdale available, would it be wiser in the long run to get someone like him in now? Well. <sighs> Jamie, I mean, the thing is, we, we, we've discussed Tisdale along with other people, and there's always people going to come up every week. Somebody's getting fired, so another name will come into the hat, and on it goes and on it goes. It's affordability as well. You don't know what these people would want um, as a financial package. And we have to remember, I think Matt, we've said this before, Matt Porter's made this clear. We have to remember as a football club where we are in the food chain, we're not a big football club. We're not going to be paying silly money out to people. So it does limit how far you can go with this. Well, that's right. I mean, those of you who went to the Meet the Bichetti night about three three years ago might recall we actually tried to get Tisdale back then and the, the amount of money mentioned was £80,000. Now, whether that's what he wanted or what we were offering I couldn't really tell on the night but you know £80,000 buys you buys you an experienced manager who's got a few promotions on his CV now a lot of people would say we should get out and get him on the other hand it's not that easy as Matt Porter said you know he, he might think he's a little bit too big for Leighton Orient now now he's managed at MK Dons and at League One so as ever it's depending on who's available and, and the chance you take there's never as, as we said before appointing the manager is 25% inspiration and 75% luck there's, there's no magic formula there's no guarantees but obviously the, the longer we go without winning any games people are going to get twitchy so I don't know I, I, my gut feeling is to give, to give Ross or Danny a, a proper go at it but you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me even now if someone's being approached by the board to come in and take over before Christmas. You, you, you never can tell. Well, let's just have a look at a rather interesting tweet conversation, Twitter conversation, should I say, that came up. Um, Matt Porter had made a, a, a tweet that said, um, basically, let me just come back to that, um, that... Uh, an unfortunate way to exit the competition last night, but an encouraging performance and a few individuals taking advantage of some pick, uh, pitch time. Massive thanks and well done to the travelling fans. Darren Ross replied, that may be so, but it's another loss and you can't paper over the cracks. We remain directionless without a proven and experienced manager. The board have lost the plot and we are heading back to the non-league. Matt then puts deep breath, Darren. If you think we have done what we've done in the last two and a half years to watch idly by and let it all unravel you need to think again we are going through a significant period of turmoil and transition and are working hard to get it back on track now that, that's the first part of it then he's replied Darren 
we were right to appoint a manager, we just chose the wrong guy. Nothing has changed apart from the fact that we are still losing games. I know you will act if necessary, but please don't leave it too long. There comes a point where pragmatism must override blind loyalty. Now, this is the, the bit I want to come to here. Matt Porter's uh, reply, lads. Don't worry, we aren't blindly loyal to anyone or anything other than the club. We are working tirelessly to make the right decisions to improve things. Now, that's there. Don't worry, we aren't blindly loyal to anyone or anything other than the club. Now, is that just Matt answering him, or is that a bit of a tell, um, Sam? That, it's, got, it's got to be, you know, this club cannot go back into the non-league. It just can't. It absolutely can't. So that's that's the be all and end all of it. So it's it's actually good to hear Matt say that. You know, we're not just going to stand by and let it and let something like that happen. It's a case of as we were just saying, when when that change comes around. You know, it's not going to be a case of oh well, well we finished you know bottom and well, but at least they gave it a go. eh? that's not going to be the case. So that's what Matt Porter is saying on the one hand. On the other, there is cause for concern. Hence why you get tweets like that. So, you know, it's good to, to hear someone at the club saying that, um, but actions do speak louder. I mean, the thing is, Jamie, that, you know, however, wherever Orient finished this season, they've got to be seen to finish strongly if they want to encourage people to, to be part, depart with their cash next season and buy season tickets. So it's a, it's a business decision at the end of the day here as regards, you know, money coming in in a few months' time. They've got to be, you know, pretty ruthless here and make a decision, haven't they? Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at our home record this year, it's pretty abysmal. So, you know, you're not going to sell many season tickets on the back of what we've seen so far. In saying that, I mean, in, in years gone by, Orient have been promoted and they've taken a long time to get used to the new, a higher grade of football. But we need, we need to sort something out quickly. You're right about it being a business decision because, you know, at the end of the day, Orient fans want to see a few wins at home. You know, they want to go home on a Saturday afternoon happy and not not moaning. Believe it or not, <laughs> believe so, it or not. But so, so, would it be fair to say, um, lads, that what we're really looking for from the board is a, a clear mission statement, if you like, a clear decision where we're going, and a clear message back, perhaps from Ross or people like that, to say where they are, what they're going to be doing, because at the moment everybody's guessing well I think yeah it needs something decisive and that can come from if the board it can come from Ross saying I want this you know I've been given a second chance at this I want to grab it with both hands he's been you know so far this season he's been I will help out the club whatever way I can which is yeah. great but we need some posit positivity here we're in the bottom third of the league we've got a huge six pointer on Saturday you know we are people were talking about last time we were on we were talking about oh if we kick on we could make the playoffs mm. now people are looking below you know, and almost hoping that Macclesfield decide not to play any more games this season, so that will solve a problem for us. Mm. But we are in, you know, we are in a bit of trouble at the moment, and we need to see some direction and some, you know, some positive decision making. But could statements that, from sorry, the cutting across here, there, Sam. But could the Macclesfield situation, because we all know, obviously, the two clubs down the bottom there. I mean, I, I, I was really struggling, but Macclesfield, obviously, the players have said today they're not going to play, and the EFL are involved, etc. They're not being play, paid now. If that club is wound up. That surely would take care of the the relegation place for this season. Um, so there'd be nothing to play for at the bottom. Uh, yeah, but we had no relegation for years until it was brought in the in the late eighties. You know, people. You know, well, you did have relegation. It was just that, you know most clubs got blackballed when they you know they came forward to try and get elected into the league. The, the, 
the league clubs sort of get, gathered together so you know Romford no not having them you know and, uh, and, and and that was the end of Romford if you like you know, who won the Southern League and asked to come into the league and probably would have done quite well but you know, the, the old school all gathered together and you had to be like Workington and Southport down there every year for about seven, eight years on a spin to to really lose your league place or like Accrington going bust, you know, so. I, I know how, how I'd feel if, if A, I, I wouldn't want Maxfield to go out of business so that ensures Lane or in surviving. No, 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 does, no. Um, but I know that if, if it did go that way, my thought process straight away is, well, Lads, you haven't got to worry about getting beat now. You're not going to get relegated. Let's just go out all out and just try and win every game. Yes, yeah. I mean, I know that should be the mentality anyhow, mm. but football's a funny game and you've seen it in recent weeks, especially at Orient, like you said about the home record, is that players need to have confidence. Yeah. And if you've got confidence in knowing that you're not going to get relegated this season and <clears throat> certain players are maybe playing for a new contract for next season, then you've almost got a free run at it. So, if that was to happen, I think it really then leaves Orient as they are for the rest of the season. Well, it's, for sure. It's surely a dream for a coach. If you were the coach or the manager, it's a dream for you because you can try things, you can use certain players, drop certain players, try different formations without that risk. Because, okay, you're not going to be in the playoffs, you're not going to make uh, promotion, but it doesn't really matter well, if you I finish mean, down to be the fair, Andy, you'd be surprised. I mean, like you say, you know, you, you, you're overlooking your shoulder at the moment the wrong way instead of looking forward and up. But especially with the period coming up to Christmas, and we know how many games are over the Christmas period, you put a run together, then the, the league table takes a whole different shape. Now, is that what possibly they're waiting for? Are they waiting to see what happens at Macclesfield? You could say yes now with that in, in the back of my mind. You're thinking, well, hold on a minute we're not in no rush now to make a decision to a certain degree. That's what I was trying to get to. Yeah. So um, I think I think it'll be at least another couple of weeks before anything's done. I think it'll be old and white at the weekend and then will it get as far as Christmas? Again, results will dictate that. Macclesfield may dictate that as well. Um, so I think I don't think it's going to be anything imminently, and I think at the moment in time, and I, I kind of know to a certain degree that, um, yeah, they are looking for a little bit of stabilisation. It's not what the Orient supporters want to know, but I'm sure with what Matt's tweeting, uh, and today you can take a tweet or a message from from anybody and put it to pieces and make it into different things and different scenarios. Um, I think it'll be probably maybe another couple of weeks just to see how this thing settles down. If they go to Oldham at the weekend and the result isn't great and the performance isn't great, then they'll look at it again. So I think that's where they're... I think literally it's just at the moment, it's game by game. Yeah. I mean, they've reached that sort of crossroads moment, perhaps, Jamie? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. In fact, you, you could say they kind of reached the crossroads against Forest Green, really. I think after, the, after losing two home games on the bounce in the league... It, it, it is, it's getting nervous you know, the, the, the frustrations are kind of boiling over a little bit I agree with Adrian I think we'll, we'll wait and see around Christmas time before they make a decision either way I think Ross has got to get a couple of wins yeah. uh, the next three games we've got a game at Oldham we've got the game against Breakfast City which won't be easy and we've got a game at Cambridge and we've got uh, I'd say we've got need at least five points for them, for them fixtures at least five points now, I mean, just hypothetically here, if if they're going to stick with Ross or Danny or whatever, yeah. in other words, if they're going to keep it in-house, fine. But if they're going to bring a third party in again, 
they've got to look at this interview process, haven't they? Uh, because for whatever way it may have worked on one occasion properly, they've really... To my mind, if I'm going to be really honest, we had a discussion with Kent and Nigel a long time ago on this show, and I think it was just after Steve Davis um, went. And to be fair, Kent, he, I don't think he was very pleased with me at the time because I said to him, look, you know, should you not have been involved earlier on than the final two? And Kent's view, to be fair to him, was, look, there's only one position. We saw two people. And, of course... I don't deal with the top end of business, you know, as they do. And, and Nigel explained afterwards that obviously in their executive roles, it's quite normal for them to see only the final two applicants for a job. But as we've seen, you know, in their big companies or in, in their companies, they have people who are specially trained. Uh, they are specially trained interviewers. They know the company back to front. They know exactly what, you know, say Nigel wants, um, what the company expects. Every aspect of that job that's been, you know, a vacant at the moment, and they're trained, and they look for tells, they look for body language, etc. It's it's an art, and with all due respect to the staff we've got at Lake Orient, they're not fully trained interviewers as such. And to me, the the uh, I would have thought, you know, Nigel and Kent, you know, need to get involved probably from the last four or five. Um, because to make sure that we don't fall into that trap again. Now, I got the feeling that Nigel was intimating that he would certainly be more involved than before. Yeah. Well, the thing is, in, in their line of business, they'd say, we've got a CEO, a director of football, and an experienced member of the board who's done this before. So they said they'd probably be guided by what they decide. But you're right, I think that what happened with Fletcher was... A complete disaster and they might probably want to say well you know what we'll have a little bit more of a say this time around or we'll take a little bit more of a hands-on attitude um they could i suppose look at the interviews with a, a beam back or if they're over in the states absolutely or whatever. yeah so it could it, it could be that but at, at the end of the day someone's someone's got to make that call and they've, they've probably go by what they're they're told by the people they've employed to do that job and then they make the final call. But I think what happened with Carl Fletcher, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they are more hands-on. Well, I mean, certainly if, if I'd had a couple of million dollars involved, I'd want to be a bit, yeah. bit hands-on, <laughs> to be absolutely honest. Uh, but, I mean, Sam, you know, we were talking before the show started about an interview process and we're all sitting here. And let's just say we were interviewing Adrian and and... I was asking the questions. You and Jamie would be looking for little tells, a little bit of body language, etc. And the same, the people making notes, looking at each other, you know, and and we come to a decision afterwards because you turn around to me and say, "Well, he looked a bit uncomfortable when you said that, or he looked really comfortable when you when you asked this." So, do you need? I, I mean, I believe that they need to be more involved this time round. They are. I mean, in terms of giving Adrian the job, I mean, you've seen the size of him. I'm oh not, yeah, yeah, he's. He's bigger than us, he can have it. You start Monday. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. I think um, the club, when Fletcher was announced, and as ever, when there's an audit manager announced, people are up in arms, oh, this isn't the appointment, blah, blah, blah. And the club came out and said, we've had a very stringent interview process. We've done it. We're sure we've got the right man. And as Jamie said, it was a disaster. So they've got to look at the whole, you you might as well rip up that whole interview process and go away because they got rid of him after 29 days. And that's, you know, outside of, you know, the Mad Italians era, that's, that's unprecedented. So whatever they did last time, they should absolutely not do it again, surely. Well, stands to reason. they may argue that on the whole it was right, but they made a mistake in the decision. Then it wasn't right, surely. If they say on the whole it was right and they ended up with the wrong man, might be the wrong fit or whatever, 
the whole interview process is to work, you know, we've all been for interviews. You know, I, in my game, I go for interviews quite a lot and you might have a second. You're, you're not a very good producer, right? Shut your face. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, you go back, you have a chat, you get the feel for it. Is it going to be yeah. the right, you know, the right team? Is it the right programme or yeah. whatever? With this, is it the right club? You know, and also, let's, you know, as we keep saying, we're after one man. We're after one person. We're not after somebody who can bring in a coach, who can bring in an assistant manager or whatever. They, we were just looking for one person. Now, managers have come into this club before just as one person, but you know, over time they've brought in other people. They were, you know, they were told, it's just you we're looking for. We have an existing setup, which would have counted out a load of other people. And then, you know, do you then limit the, the amount of people you can, um, you can bring in because of that, because of what you require? Is it time to maybe open that up a bit? I mean, there's not much room left on the bench, to be perfectly honest. So they'll have to work with what we've got. But just the whole, whatever was done last time, I just, I just think you, you cannot go through that process again and get it wrong again. I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, but 29 days. Yeah, I mean, hindsight's the only degree I've got, actually. But uh, there you go. Jamie. Well, as we're coming towards the end of the year and, in fact, decade, Andy, I think it's time to look back at some of the great players we've had, don't you? Oh. Okay. You're, you're <laughs> Listen, I'm only sitting in for, for uh, Billy here. It's really you, you it's, and Sam's it's, show. It's a short list. It's a short list. <laughs> the player of the decade. decade, Adrian, you'd been in, mate. No worries. <laughs> right, I'm going to throw a few uh, names out. This is a team. That te- <laughs> short list, he said. Yeah, it's short, oh, it's another short list. It's another yeah. short list. That's how it went better than the last one. Right. Okay. So, team of the, team of the decade in goal: Eldon Jakupovic. Yeah. Right back: Adam Chambers. Left back: Charlie Daniels. Central defence: Matthew Beldry. Tamika Mankandareri, midfield Roman Vincelot, Steve Dawson, Moses Odebayju. <laughs> you got sorry, you got a lot of laughter off off mic there because Adrian's giving you all the signals. <laughs> I'm ready to walk out. <laughs> this is for the decade. This is yeah, from 2010 to 2020. Yeah, yeah but yeah. get a bit younger as well. All right, <laughs> whatever you know. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Lisby, Macaulay Bond uh, on the subs bench. Dean Brill, Josh Caroma, Scott Cuthbert, Scott McLeish, Nathan Clark, Gavin Messi, Joby McEnough. And the coach is Justin Edinburgh. You got McEnough on the bench? Yeah. Who you got in his place? Well, I've got Moses Ojabayu, mm. Dean Cox, Steve Dawson in midfield, Roman Vincelot. Yeah. Yeah. Similar. I've got a similar. Yeah. I suppose the the the, the one that we, whether or not you went with uh, Makanda Weary was it you said yeah. or or Joby I suppose was it you'd be I'll stick with I'll stick with Tamika yeah yeah okay yeah. bit of youth on his side I yeah, suppose yeah of course yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he'd probably beat Joby over a hundred yards wouldn't he yeah we'd like to think so yeah but he hasn't got the um, the know how there no he hasn't he hasn't got the, the touch he, hasn't, he can't open up a no. defence no, I don't think there's any arguments about the goalkeeper I mean uh, well you say that I'd have gone for Alex Sisak because I think yeah. Kapovic, he played what thirteen games for us. I think yeah. you know Cisak played played more. Um, so for, for that reason, I'd have, I'd have put him in instead. Um, you know, I've gone Scott Cuthbert right back actually because I've got Adam James in midfield. Ooh. Yeah, uh, Charlie Daniels on the left, uh, Matty Baldry, and I actually went for Nathan Clark in in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then the midfield very similar. Couldn't really choose between Vincelot or Dawson, so I'm not sure what one of those two. Plus Moses, Chambers and Cox. Then up front, Kevin Lisby. And it's either Simpson or Bonner. You've got to sort of look at what level they scored their goals in, uh, their, their goals at. 
probably Simpson would shade it. But then again, Bond's going to play at a high level. And I was just about to say that, that he's now level. in the championship yeah, scoring goals. True, so. true. Yeah, and no. also a bit of sentiment comes into it. We would never have got the championship last year with it without McCauley Bond's goals. Yeah, but a forward is all about service. And surely, you know, if you're playing at the higher level, the service is better. You know, and he's getting goals there as well. I mean... Uh, all right, it's my team. That's your team. <laughs> I'm a bit surprised with the Jakubovic uh, being left out of your side, actually. Uh, because purely he, because he was a lo- he was a lone. He, he was, signing. but do you, do you not think if we kept him all season, we would have been promoted that? Year? Yes, I do. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. But it's a lone signing, so by my own rules, I, I, now I, do you I, see how hard it is to pick a team for a manager, <laughs> a, well, a head coach. Yeah. Did you do you do you remember any of these players that? Uh, I had Kevin Lisby. We had Kevin Lisby at um, at Barnet. Um, he came back for pre-season but right at the end of his career um, just it was just a little bit too much for him like all of us you know unfortunately when we think we can still run around and do what we want to do the brain says one thing but the body says totally the opposite so yeah I mean obviously I've seen some of those players um, but then I would have probably been sunning myself at the time down in Puerto Rico as, <laughs> as, as the viewers probably know so not yeah. an awful lot but you know obviously know more about the team and the squad nowadays yeah, we don't have viewers, we're on the radio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, no, listeners, well, listeners, listeners, listeners. listeners yeah, I mean, Kev, Kev was, uh, he made it to the, to Wembley, didn't he? Um, he did, yeah. Uh, with the, the FA um, Vars, isn't it? The FA Vars. Just, just before us. So a nice way to end your, end your career, really, isn't it? Not uh, Wembley Stadium, Wembley. it's not a bad way to end it. In front of 20,000 supporters who still love you as well, which yeah. is really nice for him. Yeah, it's a strange old arrangement that though, isn't it? When they've got these two finals in one day so far apart, you'd have thought... Uh, well, it was a good job we were there, really. Otherwise, I'm not sure how oh, many uh, tickets they'd have sold. But me. enough said about that day, yeah. the better. Right, we go for the top five games of the decade. Far away. In no particular order. <laughs> Arsenal at home in the Cup in 2011. Mm-hmm. Peterborough away in the league 3-1 in 2013, which was known as the Mooney game. The 8-2 FA Cup win over Drawsden. <laughs> Peterborough 2-1 in the playoff semi. Mm-hmm. And Bromley 3-1 last season. Nice. That's a nice got, selection there, got two, I've got two of those. I've got the Arsenal game and the, the Peterborough uh, semi. Um, I've got the Gillingham 5-1 during the, uh, the yeah. playoff near miss because that went, you know, actually seeing Orient tear a team apart, which, let's be honest, we don't see too often. No. Um, that was great. I had a 28-pass goal, I think, and a goal where we nicked the ball off them as they were kicking off after we just scored. A joy to go down the Orient that afternoon. Um, actually, I've got the, the Wrexham game from last season when we won 1-0. Now, a bit of an odd choice, but after the, the Salford game, where you just thought the, the old catchphrase of typical Bleak Orient comes up again, yeah. Uh, we've been a chance. We've got a chance here. We're not going to do anything. Then the Wrexham game comes around, and we're less confident. But to nick a one-nil win, and then everyone's like, "Ah, oh, now we've got hope again." And wasn't that the end of the TV curse as well? I think it was. Okay. Let's stretching back to the the Peterborough paint pot game. I yeah. think from from years back, and the uh, the away game at Sutton last year for all the hijinks there. After he broke my foot kicking the stand after the ref sent off. Uh, James Dayton and then the, the keeper playing keepy uppy um, and then Fallon McCauley Bond for the for the two one. Yeah. Scenes, I think, is Absolute. the um, fast. And you were in the wrong end, weren't you? I was I was, st- <laughs> I was standing behind the, the home dugout. <laughs> That's yeah. probably the strangest goal we've sort of seen or, or we ended up with a penalty since um whose backside was it uh, oh, scored Scott the goal? Hound. Scott, Scott Hound's backside. Yeah. Scott yeah. Hound and um, who else got one with his backside? Oh, Hansen. Hanson. Hanson against Barnet. 
I'd seem to recall many years ago. But the the Arsenal game stands out for me not for for a lot of reasons. We had um, the TV were there doing it live, obviously, and had David Pleat was uh, just right next to me as a co-commentator, um, and Radio Five Live were just to our left. And I was talking to the Radio Five guy before the game started, and we just happened to mention that the last time Orient had beaten Arsenal was in 1915, and that Richard McFadden had scored the goal, who was then killed the following year on the on the Somme in the First World War. So I told him this little story, and that we'd put a monument up on on the Somme, and um, he obviously made a note of it. And uh, as you all know, we're losing the match, and uh, just with a couple of minutes to go, the Radio Five guy says, well, you know, that the last time that Orient did beat Arsenal was in 1915, and he tells the story, and he says, and the goal was scored by Richard McFadden, and it's great that they've put a monument to these lads up on the Somme as to who he gets the ball. And, 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 and literally, as he told the story, Orient equalised, and at the moment he equalised, David Pleat was just to my right, ripped his headset off, turned around and fists raised, yes, because <laughs> he obviously doesn't like Arsenal yeah. very much. <laughs> and, uh, and he was absolutely ecstatic. Then he went straight back into you know, character and um, back to being a professional. But you, you see, Pleat was, a bit of spurs came out on him there, I think, as, he, <laughs> as the goal went in. You know, but it, was, it was a really, I think it's one of those moments where you get a surge of adrenaline was, was unbelievable because it... To be fair to Arsenal, they were playing like they were five nil up and just passing well, it, it around. Well, it was just after when we got equalised. The, their fans had just been chanting, "We'll never play you again." Yes, so I pointed yes. out we'd see them a week on Tuesday. Yeah, um, but it was one of the you know one of the best nights I've ever had down down the Orient. The atmosphere, probably the the whole semi final uh, playoff semi final, probably. Uh, only slightly better than that but really you know just an amazing and I remember my brother was was with me um, and I sit by the old director's box and I turned around when we equalised just to remind the Arsenal fans that we would be playing in the game I turned around to hug my brother and he, he I couldn't see him he basically jumped onto my back fallen off it and gone straight through the seat in front which was uh, had to be replaced for the next home game no. so if you want to send in the bill let me know and I'll, I'll That's pass what it Adrian you're obviously not necessarily with the Orient but uh, in, in this decade you must have a couple of matches that stand out for you personally yeah I mean I think when I was growing up and when I was at Orient it was actually probably I think it was in my first year as an apprentice back in the day when um, Orient went up via the playoffs and beat Wrexham at Brisbane Road and the scenes of the players coming up to the director's box and standing there in front of the supporters and I was off to the side and I just thought I want some of this you know as a player you know I want to go through this roller coaster journey of the emotions of winning losing you know because we all know that happens as well um, and, and I've seen a lot of the, the pictures of the old players in, the, in those days, you know, Kevin Howell, Steve Baker, Terry Howard, Stevie Castle, uh, Alan Comfort, you know, all these players I grew up, Lee Harvey, watching them week in, week out and trying to see what it was that made them a good pro and play at that level, so to speak, and what was going to be achievable for myself. So, you know, it started back then, really, um, watching Orient play West Ham in the FA Cup. Um, Colin Foster was still playing then and then he got his move to West Ham and I think it was a 2-2 draw on the, on, the, on the day and so those those memories of me as a young boy trying to find my way in the industry um, knowing what it was going to take and the dedication that I had to put in um, you know I tell I tell the story that I don't think I was necessarily the best player but I was a very committed player that got the best out of what I, I had inside me and had to work very hard at my game 
and um, technically probably not very, not not as good. But um, from a work ethic point of view, probably even to this day now, as a 48 year old man, that, that you know that's. But I think that's what breeds success is, is, is what the, the work you put in. But also the facts, I think we can say we, we all knew your mum and dad when you were there and they made sure you kept your feet firmly on the ground, didn't they? They were very down to earth. I mean, they used to literally mix in with everybody and come to all the functions and any any dues that were laid yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. They used so. to come down to the supporters club and, and like you say, they they'd go on the supporters bus. Um, um, you know, they they travel up and down the country, especially even to the Oldham game, you know, come come everywhere to watch me play um, and it's a bit difficult now for my dad nowadays unfortunately my mum passed away t- two years this Christmas so that's always difficult to deal with um, but you know I try and get my dad out and about but he he, he has this thing that he, he's a Tottenham supporter believe it or not and <laughs> When they're live on telly, he's got this this phobia about watching them on telly, and then he then watches watches the game after it's gone live, and I'm like, "Would well, you know the result?" He said, "Yeah." Well, why are you watching it then? And so, yeah. you know, people are, are weird, they have their weird and wonderful ways, but I think that's just the network. I think hopefully that we're all we're all from. Some people are lucky, and some people aren't to to have that network of people that support you. I was just going to do a very brief um, ask Ada from his time as an Irish player. Um, when you broke into the side, you kind of partnered John Sitton, Paul Beasley and Keith Day. Which one did you prefer to play with? Oh, that's a good one. I mean, I think probably Paul Beasley, you know, from where he'd come from. Um, he looked after I mean, all three of them looked after me, to be fair, as a young kid. But I think they knew within their own right that I deserved to be in the team. Um, I think as a pro, they'd they'd always look after you. Um Sits was a bit different, probably a little bit more harder than the other two. Um, Bees was probably a bit better player on the ball, and Keith Day, you knew what you were going to get with him. So I was lucky that probably that I got the chance to, to get my name on the team sheet before them, so it was one of those three that was going to play alongside me. <laughs> you skipped the, the O's at a very young age. How did you find that? Um, absolutely loved it. I thought it was an honour. Um, I I'd, I'd captained all the all the teams at, a, at youth level, and from when I was a 12-year-old boy, all the way through to, to obviously the youth team, the reserves, and obviously the people saw or the people, the coaches at the time, Patsy, Bernie Dixon, you know, all these people that had coached me, John Gorman had seen a value in me being captain, so that's probably where it where it came through. Okay, last one. What went what went wrong in '92, '93? Why did we bomb out in the end? I, th- I think it was our away form, wasn't it? I think uh, we just couldn't win away from home. Our home form was unbelievable, I think, if, I, if my memory serves me right. But it was just our away form. And when it happened, I was devastated because obviously I think that would have been the first time that I was close to getting into the playoffs as a player and and a, and a promotion. Um, I think just that we had a mental blockage of when we travelled away from home. You, you see it nowadays. Some teams can't play at home and at the moment or in going through that with their home form and it, and it is a confidence thing you know you get on that bus you move outside London and you know they, they always used to say it you know the southern softies are coming up north and it was a mental thing I think it was just the fact that we just couldn't deal with the fact that our home form was so good we put ourselves under the pressure by not winning away from home but when we played at home I think it was maybe off the top of my head we lost one or two games so it's it's a confidence thing in 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 every in every sport, um, but especially as a, a team sport and in coming into to home games. Yeah. Right. Well, that's uh, all about 
at uh, the time we've got tonight. It's been an eventful evening. Thanks very much, Jamie. Thanks very much, Adrian. Thanks very much, Sam. And thank you, all of you, for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Orient Hour. On the hour, across Brentwood and Billericay, this is Phoenix FM.